Level check, four, three, two, one. Hey, Greg, this beer is pretty good. Thank you. Oh, yes. Happy to happy to share a beer with you, George. And uh... Greg Easton and I, George Sekmanchev, are having a beer for Easton podcast number 168 here at the South Point Hotel, Casino, and Spa. Did you know it had spa? It has spa. Yeah. It has a spa. And you know, after a long day of archery, cheers. Cheers. After a long day of archery, a spa sounds like maybe a good thing. Yes, it does. And we're also sitting here in the trade show, which has got some of the background noise of the archery show. The con- it's not just trade, it's everybody. Yeah. Um, and in front of the Easton Foundation booth. And this Easton Foundation booth is one reason that we're here talking today. It is, among other things, a commemoration of 100 years, 1922, and now here we are in 2022. The legacy started by Doug Easton, your grandfather, continued on by your dad, Jim Easton. And now, carrying the torch today, you, Greg Easton, and uh, people have an opportunity here in Vegas to see the company history. A lot of photos inside that are probably things a lot of folks have never seen before. Oh, really absolutely. great ex- exhibition of things. It's a, it's a lot of fun. We did something similar for uh, the World Archery Congress in Yankton, South Dakota, where we had people from countries around the world and invited them to a similar display and it's a it's a common thing i hear here also is i didn't know i didn't know the company did that i didn't know you guys were involved with that i didn't know that's where you started whatever thing so it's it's fun to see that it's fun to see people have the interest to spend a little time walking through the display and look at some of the the demonstration of our our timeline and some of the artifacts we got in there and just it's uh we're we're glad to be here to share with everybody you know greg um in the podcast and elsewhere, we've discussed in the past that very few companies make it to a milestone like this one. A hundred years is a milestone that most companies do not make it to. Something on the order of 95% of companies are pretty well done with business after 60 years. Um, and there are a number of things about the Easton Company, in my view, that made it unique. One of them is always been a family business. I think that's a significant one because it, it's in some ways goes beyond passion. Yeah, I mean, the family business, you know, the really close ownership really lets you focus on what, what what's important for the company, not not for the shareholders, not for the market, not for a stock price, something else. And we've, we've never really even thought seriously about going public. We've been able to finance our growth. It's a, it's a challenge, and a lot of companies need almost need that public money because they're on such a high tra- growth trajectory and um you know the, the archery business is 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 um surprisingly stable it doesn't have a lot of strong growth but it's got a lot of passionate people that continue to participate and bring new people in yeah and that you know, that lack of needing that growth i can remember going through i'd call it kind of the dot-com era where you know, companies were growing at 15 20 40 percent just just because they were in business and we were growing a lot less than that and people kind of like you know what's what's wrong with your company absolutely nothing we're just fine and uh, when all that crashed and we were still growing at high single digits and people were like wow you're you're amazing hmm. like, no it's just archery it's stable just driven by a different set of priorities than companies of the kind that you just described and i think that that's a significant aspect of it I would say another aspect of it, and we just saw a friend of ours walk by a moment ago, Don Rabska, really good example of the kind of people that Easton hired over the years because passionate archers 
can be pretty good for the company's goals. So guys like Don, um, you know, guys like Gary Felice, historically, guys like Larry Belden, sort of the legends of the past, right? Yeah. I mean, and way back in the day, Dick Tone, all those oh, yeah. kind of guys who were around. And it, it really is, you know, it's it's having the, the passion for the, the product and the business and then having the right people. And right. I think my dad did... Uh, my grandfather and my dad have done, you know, great jobs of hiring the right people with the right mentality. Um, you know, um, can be difficult from a business if you purely look at something from a business aspect. But when you look at how they contribute from a whether it's product innovation or just other passion about the sport, it's a it's finding that right balance of the, having the right mix of people. And and uh, yeah, I think we've been. We've been uh, diligent about that and fortunate to find those right people. Yeah. yeah. And over the years, I think that, you know, when you look at the, the Larry Belden's, the Don Rabska's, the people of that caliber, um, yeah, sometimes some of the decisions that have been made were expensive decisions. But in the long run, a lot of it helped to maintain the company's relevance, supremacy in the marketplace, things of that nature. Um, you know, even going into the sports side of the business, mm-hmm. uh, the baseball, right the hockey, things of that nature. It all came from the passion of individuals, not the least of whom is Jim, and his passion for perfection, for finding that best stuff, something that I think you share, and I think that historically um, that has been the key, in my view, to what has made Easton as successful as it has been, is that passion for making the product as good as it can be. And, you know... The, the story in the book that's going to be coming out, the 100-year anniversary book of Easton, relates over and over again, guys like Steve Hayes pointing out, that it didn't matter necessarily what something cost to make. If it could be the best, it would sell itself. And it's a philosophy that, it's an Easton family philosophy to a degree that has served the company really well, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know, at times we would make that best product. It would cost a lot to make and we would make very little on being able to sell it but we knew it was the best product that's what the archers needed over time and time being many many years decades uh, we can we were able to perfect some of the processes but some of the early stuff was well as you know really hard to do yeah that's you know my, my dad had that mentality has that mentality of come up with the stuff that's hard to do um, figure out how to do it and if we can't figure it out Nobody else will be able to either, so right. we can kind of look at the, turn the turn the page and do the next thing. But uh, yeah, really trying to figure out what's the what's the next you know the next product. How do we solve problems people have or make product more consistent for them? And and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a, a long history. And also that attitude has helped the company do things in other areas, you know, like medical tubing, things of that nature, that built upon those things that were hard to do but allowed for those hard-to-do things to take things to a new level in other areas. And I think that's also been an important thing for the company's success during times when archery, like in the last two years, has had some difficult times. Yeah, I, you know, definitely a lot of difficult times for shows and for tournaments and that sort of thing. But, you know, interestingly, especially in the U.S., the business has been strong, I think, like a lot of outdoor stuff, whether it's 
electric bikes or camping or RVs, we've had we've had a, a kind of an interesting period as people got more involved with going out outdoors. But yes, I think we've we've always said, hey, what else what else can we do? Um, you know, let's not like you said, let's not. We don't need to cost justify everything from day one, like you might in a financial kind of driven company. And let's figure out what we can figure out. When we look ahead, you know, I, I know that uh, it's easy to get accused of navel-gazing. Hey, we're 100 years old at Easton, and we've done this, and we've done that, and we've put stuff on the moon, and, you know, we've had every Olympic medal and all of this sort of thing. But the truth is, a guy like you tends to be forward-looking, tends to be looking at what's next, what's ahead, how to keep the sport relevant, how to keep the company relevant in the sport. Those are kind of lockstep with each other. It's an Eastern, it's, it is an Easton's long-term interest for archery to be healthy long-term. That's the kind of thing that you look forward to pretty much all the time. When I talk to you, you're, you're always bringing up questions like, what's happening with this part of our sport? And it seems to me that you can't look back without looking forward. What, what's your prognostication <laughs> of what it's gonna take to keep our sport moving forward? Yeah, oh, uh, from the sport standpoint, I think it's a it's a good question. It's gonna it's gonna continue to take. Um, you know, I don't I don't really envision the big kind of major change my dad did by putting in the Olympic round, for, ex- for yeah, example. That was a sea change in, a, in Olympic archery. Uh, but I continue to see that becoming a much more competitive environment. I think archery let out on that. We let out on innovation. We let out on on being um, uh, well-run and some of the good governance things and how to avoid some of the problems that have happened in other sports. Uh, but the competition is catching up, right? Mm-hmm. And and you really got to figure out how do we keep competing for that right to be in the Olympics. It's still, I, we still, my dad was very passionate about how important that is. We still think it's very important. It's like, how do we make sure that sport is interesting, um, unique, I've, there are some conversations going on in archery about world archery, about you know, what what else can we do to um, modernize is not quite the right word, but to create something that's continues to be interesting to young people. Uh, but I still get encouraged. I run into people. It was after the, the the Beijing Games, and somebody was watching them, watching them on on TV, and just how they. They used shot when they were kids or whatever, young, and they got enthused again about archery because they saw it and they said, we watched all of it. And, you know, when somebody stumbles across it and gets sucked in like that, I mean, that's what we're trying to trying to accomplish from that standpoint. Yeah, kind of one person at a time. Yeah, yeah. And just to bring it into the present and where we are right now, for 57 years of the 100-year history of Easton, the company has been a supporter of the Vegas shoot since its inception owner at a, at, at a certain point in time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> and when we consider what this tournament does, um, it is sort of the everyman tournament, right? You have all sorts of people here from all sorts of levels, every form of the sport, even crossbow and bear bow. I, saw, I shot next to some bear bows today doing some practice. So yeah, right. the, the, the good friends in the bear bow world, sure. Right. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. It's a tournament for everybody. So, kind of like how Easton makes an arrow for everybody, Vegas is the tournament for everybody. And I think it's been an important part of the company legacy. 
uh, over the years. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's exciting. It's a uh, yeah, exciting to see this tournament really how it's evolved over the years. You know, when early on it was it was tough to make ends meet. Companies like Easton and PSE and Hoyt and other big brands were basically funding the thing. At the yeah. end of the year, we would be presented with here's what here's the big hole we got left with. Yeah. So please write us a check so we can keep it going. Exactly. Please write us a check. Um, Bruce and the NFA got involved and really you know turned it around uh, back in the Riviera days. You know got the, pop, the uh, participation up, a lot more people involved, and I should think back of what year it was but i remember when i started getting more involved and in going to that tournament i wasn't shooting and then those particular tournaments but would walk in and it's like well this is tough there's no fan there's no spectator component to it who's winning who isn't it, it made me think a little bit about the old olympic round right you right. walk up and over three days people would be shooting and it only till they added up the scores did you know what happened right you got a whole crowd of people and, there um, standing in white yeah. and you just don't know what's going on there's no way to follow it so i you know i wor- i worked and i think i just I, I only take credit for planting the little bit of the seed of some of the early um instant scoring we put in which was very cumbersome with all the wires and everything and someone shot the wires one time and yeah. knocked the thing out but, i remember those old uh, and, handheld devices yeah. and we the, the foundation actually helped put in some bleachers just to give people a place to hang out and participate and and watch what was going on and um when bruce you know that we did that for a few years and it you know it I think it, it changed the environment a little bit. When, I remember when Bruce talked to me about this place. We came out here and saw this thing. What do you, what do you think about coming out here? I'm like, awesome. Just the right kind of place. We're not stuck downtown in the middle of the strip. But more importantly, we got this arena here just over the corner here that can seat 5,000 people. Yeah. And, uh, it allows us to have a show. Let them, show, let, them, let them watch the show. And even though its show has always frustrated me a little bit because it's not televisable you got 15 archers and you don't have 15 cameras it's not like the one-on-one shoot off um after a couple of years of watching it it's 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 the event and it and it really makes it happen so i think it's uh you know kudos to bruce and his team for all the work over all the years they put to put this together well to your point this year we're going to do something that is unprecedented um in april we had as you know the pro shoot down for vegas 2021 we are going to go ahead, and the final five or so are going to be shot individually Sunday night here in Vegas. And that means that you are going to have the opportunity to see each archer shooting individually during the shootdown at the last phase. Oh, okay. So that could be something oh, much closer to the vision that you had for what could make it better. Yeah. And they're going to go for it this year. So that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, I think... As my dad did when the whole Olympic round and that came about, and he was he was under some pressure by Samaranch to say, how do you make this sport interesting, not just for spectators, but television, right? That's So that was in that air. And today, I think we need to think about archery from not just the on-hand spectators and not just the archers, but what makes it interesting from the, the, the media, the person watching on TV or on uh, streaming or whatever, however they're consuming it, you've got to figure out how to make that because if nothing else, that gets them interested, and maybe the next year they want to come out here and, exactly. and see it, and hopefully participate. And as George said earlier, it really, literally is for everybody. If you had, if you have any interest in archery, this is your come, come here and learn more about it and shoot yeah. and have fun. You know, except for maybe Japanese yabusame, you got just about everything here. 
And, know, and they and could do it. They got the horses. Well, you could. And it's, you know, it's 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 20 yards. You can shoot this at your local club in your basement. Yeah. And and uh, that's what I always find exciting is there's 15 guys that shoot perfect for the whole tournament, but there's probably, I don't know, 50 or 100 that can do that at home. Yep. And something changes yep. when you're in Vegas. Yep. <laughs> I was talking to Jay Bars about that on the last, uh, on the penultimate podcast. And we were talking about what is it that goes through your head? What happens <laughs> when you step down on that floor, that adrenaline rush? And, you know, what we came up with was you got to have tournament callus. Well, I will, I, I will uh, I'll share a short story. So one of the early times I was shooting here, I shot a compound round. And the first couple of days we ended up getting put together on our, so it was just a bunch of friends shooting. The last day, as you know, it gets reorganized and you end up on a target with a whole new group of people. Yeah. So we're shooting the first half and everything's going great and I'm having fun and we go to move the targets and do some other stuff. And one of these guys, and if you're out there listening, I need to know who you are, but one of these guys decides to try to get inside my head. I, he didn't. He was just kidding. Because as you know, in Vegas, it's all about the, the flights. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's I'm a not, camaraderie among I'm the not, flight shooters. I'm not winning this thing, right? I'm somewhere way down the flights i'm not i don't even know if i'm close or not i'm just trying to get through this end and um we're finishing up mixing up the targets and this guy says to me you know you're clean (laughs) oh it was you might as well you said what goes through my mind i'll tell you what through my mind somebody opened the top of my head my mind just fell out on the floor (laughs) i got up to shoot that next arrow and couldn't keep the arrow on the rest I'm not winning this thing. It's no money on the line, but it just took me apart. So it's like I, I have to really appreciate what these guys, what the pros go through. Yeah. I mean, but the key uh, for those of you listening, wondering how to avoid that kind of problem, is <laughs> shoot more tournaments. Yes. And yeah. you've been shooting quite a bit more. Um, you know, there's. But you and I have a mutual friend who doesn't have that much tournament experience, and yet somehow you're going to have to say his name. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to give him that. John Johnston, <laughs> That's son of Joe Johnston, yes, famous person who put Hoyt on the map. He did, absolutely. John Johnston is the only person I know in the entire sport of archery, and I know more than a few, who has never failed to podium in every event he has ever entered. And I will leave that for what it means. <laughs> Although, yes. did you see the text we got last weekend when he shot the Momentum Tournament at the Easton Archery Center in Salt Lake City? And there he was on the podium again. And I was like, I can't believe he did it again. Yes. It was he is, unbelievable. He is having, a, you know, it just goes to show you, he's having too much fun just getting into archery. He's been around archery all, all his life. He shot as a, as a youth, but hasn't shot seriously in years and uh, how well he's doing. So, John, I can't wait to shoot with you tomorrow. Greg Easton, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us here at the South Point here at Las Vegas where... You're getting ready to shoot on target number 100. Yeah. Oh, so I think I got your text just before I flew here today, just before I took off. And I'm like, oh, 100, that's, you know, that's an easy number to remember. And then I start working on the plane, whatever I was doing. I land. Bruce, Bruce came over nicely to pick me up and was sitting in the car talking about different stuff. So about two and a half, three hours later, whatever it was, and suddenly it dawned on me, oh, 100. That's not a coincidence. <laughs> so thanks to the guys in the scoring team who came up with that, uh, Mateo and um, Doc and Doc. Thank you. Yes, all and Oz and all those guys. All you guys. They're thanks, all thanks awesome. For doing that. Awesome guys at the end. Appreciate the memory you've created there for me. Thank you. We'll be bringing more to you from the Vegas shoot as the week continues. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Eastern Target Archery Podcast. We'll see you again soon.